Hello, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the July 13th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. Today's show, as always, is brought to you by my management consulting firm, and that is Janice Allen Jackson and Associates. Today, we complete our two-part series on crime and the role of the district attorney in ensuring justice. Our guest is Jared T. Williams, who is district attorney on the Augusta Judicial Circuit. If you missed last week's episode, please go to my website, JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com, where there is a local matters tab. Or if you are on Facebook, check out our new Local Matters Podcast of Georgia Facebook page. Once there, you can listen and share the post with others. And please like and follow the Local Matters Podcast of Georgia Facebook page so that you will get notifications anytime we post new episodes. This was such an engaging interview that we have also posted it on our new YouTube channel in its entirety. Please subscribe to the channel and share those videos. The whole video is about 40 minutes. You can copy the link and text or email the link to people who should know what people in our community are doing to address important issues. As I said last week, this just might be the best interview that I have ever done. It encompasses so many things that I enjoy. First, a smart guest. Second, education about local government. And third, a thoughtful conversation about how we don't have to do things the way that we've always done them. But before we get into part two of that interview with our district attorney, I want to let you know what is coming up in the next few weeks. We have Dr. Donna Moraine, who will discuss her experiences watching what happens in our local courts. State Representative Sheila Clark Nelson, who will discuss what the state legislature did for Georgians in the most recent legislative session. And Ms. Ann Streetman-Knighton, who will discuss what more the state can do to address the needs of people with disabilities. But before we get into our interview with the DA, I want to talk a little bit about the process of selecting a permanent tax commissioner in Richmond County. You will recall that Stephen Kendrick was required to step down when he qualified to run for mayor because of Article 2, Section 2, Paragraph 5 of the Georgia Constitution. Article two of the Georgia State Constitution describes the process for voting and elections in Georgia. This process involves the method of voting and the right to register and vote, general provisions, and the suspension and removal of public officials. There are five paragraphs that make up section two of article two. These provisions include procedures provided by law by the General Assembly for the appeal of the right to vote, where returns on elections made by Georgians will be made to the Secretary of State, runoff elections, and who can vote in a runoff election. It also addresses persons not eligible to hold office, 
recall of elected public officials. And you'll remember we did a show on recalls a couple of weeks ago. If you missed that one, that's a very informative one as well. Please go check that out on my website or on the Local Matters Facebook page. And paragraph five of section two, article two of the Georgia constitution also addresses vacancies created by an elected official who qualifies for another office. What it says is that the office of any state, county, or municipal elected official shall be declared vacant upon such elected official qualifying in a general primary or general election or special primary or special election for another state, county, or municipal elective office or qualifying for the House of Representatives or the Senate of the United States if the term of office for which such official is qualifying for begins more than 30 days prior to the expiration of such official's present term of office. In this particular case, the mayor's term starts on January 1, 2023, while the tax commissioner's term won't end until January 1, 2025, or two years later. Steve Kendrick was reelected in 2020, with that term starting January 2021. So he only served one year and about two and a half months of that term. The Board of Elections will have to issue a call for a special election to complete, to elect someone to complete his term. You may also recall that probate court judge Harry James appointed Chris Johnson as interim tax commissioner immediately after Kendrick stepped down, and Johnson will continue to serve until that special election takes place. The probate court judge administered oaths to both men back in March during mayoral qualifying week. And the Georgia Code says that as probate court judge, Judge James can name an interim to assume the role, or he can assume that role himself. James cited two sections of the Georgia Code, one of which says that the chief deputy tax commissioner, who of course was Chris Johnson at that time, takes over the duties of the tax commissioner upon the death, resignation, incapacity, or inability to serve of the elected tax commissioner. So now that we've established how that vacancy has uh, become available, the big question is, who is actually going to run for the office? The office itself has not drawn a lot of interest since 2008, when two others competed with Stephen Kendrick for the job. Henceforth, 2012, 2016, and 2020, three consecutive elections since then, Kendrick actually ran unopposed. As we think about the job of tax commissioner, it is not particularly exciting as far as I'm concerned. Uh, basically, it's an administrative function to ensure that property and auto taxes are collected and that auto decals are issued. The areas where the tax commissioner has influence on our community is in relationship to the land bank authority and the tax sales because those are the methods used to dispose tax delinquent properties in an effort to get them back on the tax rolls and in productive use. Aside from that, the other important function that I can think of related to the tax commissioner's office is that the tax commissioner and his staff are really the face of the city. If you as a resident of our community are fortunate enough that nothing else goes wrong, 
many residents only interface with this office, so their opinions of city government could be based in large part upon what happens in their encounters with employees of the tax commissioner's office. Obviously, and as always, Local Matters will be with you to assist you in deciding who to support for this office once we know who is actually running for it. Having given you that background, let's go back to the primary purpose of Local Matters today, and that is to complete our interview with Augusta Circuit District Attorney Jarrett T. Williams. Please enjoy part two. As you talk about crime, um, you know, crime nationwide has increased since the pandemic. Um, last week, week before last, I was just walking downtown because that's where I get my outdoor exercise and a reporter from WJBF stopped me and just said, you know, hey, you know, we got upcoming festivals and events coming. We've had a rise in crime, violent crime here downtown. Are you afraid to come to those special events because of the increase in violence? And my answer, of course, was no, because I, you know, I just realized it's life. Um, but I also wanted to point out that there needs to be more of a concerted effort to uh, address crime and the root causes of it in order for our community to be uh, safer overall. So from your perspective, somebody who sees it up close and personal on the daily, um, what do you think would be the most effective steps that, that we can take to address the increase in crime rates? There are so many. <laughs> so uh, I'd, I'd start with this. One, yes, crime has risen across the U.S. And that is directly attributable to all the things that happened from 2020 on, and we're talking about a pandemic, we're talking about loss of wages, we're talking about increased time in the home, which means an uptick in domestic uh, instances. All of those things are baked into this cake, right? But the important thing to notice is this. One, um, crime has risen regardless of what jurisdiction you're in, whether you're in a blue jurisdiction or a red jurisdiction or a purple one, whatever it may be whether your DA is tough on crime or smart on crime, the same issues have, have arisen across the board. So we know that it's not tied to politics. What it is tied to is policy. And what we have to do is recognize that just because there is increasing crime does not mean that uh, we should go back to the same damaging policies that created the atmosphere in which that increase in crime could take place. Right. So it's not just a criminal justice problem. We have to make sure that we are providing opportunities across the board. Um, our jails and prisons should not be the primary housing facility for mental illness. Our jails and prisons should not be uh, the one way or the, the primary way that we handle the substance use disorder that so many people are affected by in our community, um, because a health problem should not be a criminal problem until it becomes one. And we have to treat addiction. We have to treat mental illness. That's the health problems that they are. Um, or else we're just going to be kicking that can down the road. We need to find ways to engage our young people. We need to invest more heavily in our schools, particularly in schools that are underperforming. We need to invest in 
uh, community resources and activities and things that can keep our young people busy. There are basic life skills and uh, ways of, of living that are just completely alien to some of the folks in our community because they're never exposed to it. And so this is a community issue and it's gonna require a community response. And um, I, I think uh, you're absolutely correct. Um, who though is it that has to take the leadership in pulling that community response together? Have, have we solved the mystery of uh, the chicken and the egg and who gets started? <laughs> I think that we all have to get started together. Um, and so responding to crime, my office, the sheriff's office, the FBI, DEA, ATF, we're all working together on the gang problem right now. We are actively working to make our community safer, right? But there are people in those communities who have other problems that exacerbate the issues of crime. And so when you've got a young person who is growing up in a home where um, there's not enough food to eat, or not enough um, energy for him to have a hot shower um, or, or an air conditioner, you know, that person is going to seek out ways to get out of that environment. And there are usually gang members around the corner who are willing to bring you in and show you the love and affection that you don't get while, while whatever mom's doing or whatever dad's doing um, and fill in that gap for you and expose you to money, allow you to make some money, um, which then, you know, th that desire for um, material things and that, that, that money becomes an addiction of an, in and of itself. And I, I was reading a case file where one of the, the members of this gang is, is so allegiant to the leader of the gang who's asking him to go commit murders <laughs> to, to go expose himself to life sentences. Why? Because ever since he's known him, he's never had uh, a, a day without a meal. He's never had an a, a day where he didn't have the opportunity to buy whatever he wanted. You know, that's what we're competing against. And so while we have a criminal justice response, we need socioeconomic responses as well. Going to shift gears a little bit and go to the topic of social media, something that has changed the, the landscape. Um, I, in pre preparation for this interview, I went through the Facebook page of, of uh, I think it's Jared Williams, district attorney, and I saw news releases about some of the prosecutions that you've been engaged in. I saw you participating in some community activities. Um, tell us why you thought it was so important for you to set up uh, such a page on social media and include that type of information? Well, I'm a big believer. And if you're going to be accountable to people, you have to be accessible to them. Um, and you can't say, hey, my doors are open, so come see me. That's not really access. Uh, you have to go to where people are. And most people I know are on social media. And so that's a reason um, why we keep up such a robust social media presence. Um, but then there's, a, there's another side to it too, because when I first came in, I wasn't doing press releases. I wasn't sending out stuff to the media. My understanding was that, uh, you know, if there was newsworthy stuff, a reporter would go investigate it and report it fairly. And when I found that that was not happening, when I found that, um, you know, 
if I wanted a conviction to get into the news, I had to send a press release. But if I had a dismissal, they'd just find that on their own. <laughs> you know, it, it became clear to me that I was not necessarily uh, being dealt with in, in, in good faith by everyone. So I decided we're going to put out the information for the people and they can decide as opposed to waiting on others to try and craft the narrative. Okay. All right. Very good. And it used to be the case, as you described that, you know, I started in local government service many years ago. Um, and back then, newspapers did have the resources. They had enough reporters that they could go carry, uh, go cover stuff. Um, they didn't always cover it in a way that I thought was accurate, but at least I knew it would get some coverage. Um, but that has changed so much because so few people are, are reading newspapers. They don't have the circulation. They don't have the advertisements that they used to have. And they cut their news staffs down that, yeah, now they aren't going to, to look for stuff. And that does create a, a need for so social media, and I'm glad you have it there. Um, and I'm sure you want to invite our, our listeners to go follow that page, right? Yes, please do. Please do. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's at Jared4DA, Jared Williams for District Attorney. And we also have an office page, um, which uh, it's in its infancy. So you won't find as much there, perhaps. But Jared T. Williams, District Attorney, Augusta Judicial Circuit. Um, you'll find all that on Facebook uh, and Instagram and Twitter. All right. Great. Great. All right. Um, also shifting gears again, because we got so much ground to cover with this interview. Um, one of the reasons that I created Local Matters is to help people understand how much of an impact that state and local governments have on their day to day quality of life. Um, they're really interested in going to vote for president because they see that's where they can have an impact. But the truth of the matter is, I think what happens at the state and local levels is just as or more important than what happens at the federal level. And one of the examples that I cite for that is the recent Roe versus Wade decision of the uh, Supreme Court. And even with that, which, you know, on the surface of it appears to be a federal issue, local prosecutors like yourself play a key role, and you issued a statement about that recently. Uh, would you mind just sharing with our viewers the high points of that statement? Sure. I've made it clear that my singular focus is public safety. And when I am asked to do things that will impede my ability to protect public safety, um, I'm, I'm going to refuse. And so I've stated that the, the laws that are being proposed around abortion where it would make it illegal for a woman or, or her doctor to consider saving that woman's life if she has a complication in her pregnancy or um, that would treat a victim of rape um, as a criminal in her own right if she were to, uh, to choose not to carry that rapist baby to term. Um, that's unacceptable to me. And I'm not going to use the resources of my office that I really need every single dime to combat people dying in the streets, to combat violent gangs, to combat um, people molesting children or, or uh, stealing someone's bodily autonomy. I'm not going to be a party to using those resources that are so valuable um, to prosecute women and their doctors for personal health care decisions. And so that that's really um, the crux of it is I feel that it's damaging policy. I think that it would uh, ruin my credibility with my victims. It would ruin my ability to prosecute um, 
I'll give you an example of if I have the time. Earlier this year, we prosecuted a rape case where a, a father uh, over the period of years drugged and raped his own daughter and she became pregnant. Now, if she had chosen not to carry her rapist incestuous father's child to term, some of these laws would ask me to prosecute her and, and allow the system to re-victimize her. How could I effectively prosecute the case against her father, her rapist, if she's afraid to talk to me? Um, and so when I say that this is all about public safety, um, I know that people have a lot of different opinions and firmly held beliefs on the issue of abortion. And I respect everyone's opinion, but I have to make decisions not based on public opinion, but public safety. And those concerns dictate that I will always put my resources toward uh, prosecuting the offenders, not the victims. And, and I noticed as I read that statement, which is on the Facebook page, that we just made reference to um, that there were uh, a group of attorney generals and district attorneys that had also signed a similar statement. Uh, are they a part of an organization that you're with or how did you all come together to do that? So I am part of an organization called Fair and Just Prosecution, um, and they authored the original statement and asked for sign uh, for signatories. However, um, not everyone who signed on is an actual member of the organization. Um, and I think at this point, we're over 100 DAs and attorneys general uh, and prosecuting attorneys from throughout the United States who have signed on. All right, excellent. And again, we're going to go back to the, the public because that's the reason that you are a public servant at this point. Are they, there are things that you wish the public knew about the Augusta District Attorney's Office that they don't know? I wish that everyone knew how hard people in this office are working every day to make sure that they are safe, to make sure that they are heard, uh, to make sure that we live in the type of society that we want to live in, where people are prosperous and safe, healthy, and working together. Um, I, I've alluded to my staff before, but I just cannot sing their praises enough because everything that they do day in and day out, some of these folks read about the most vile, disgusting crimes, like the one I just mentioned to you. You know, those are real human beings who are having to uh, make contact with that victim and help her through the process of, of the criminal justice system. Um, there are real prosecutors who are having to uh, look at the facts uh, match it with the law and bring forth the charges, collect the witnesses. It's our investigators who go out in the street and try and find witnesses who don't want to talk to us uh, or don't want to come to court, don't want to be found. Um, it's our legal assistants who are making sure that every step that we take throughout the litigation of these years-long cases gets properly documented so that we uh, can be effective. And so it, Everyone is working together and there's just so much effort put into the safety of this community. And I don't think that people often recognize the, the brains behind the operation is in uh, every single one of those people working every single day. And just pause there. How many staff people are in your office? Uh, right now we are at 53 and at full staff we'd be at 60. The great okay. resignation has hit us all. 
<laughs> yeah, hit us all. So, and tell me, is the how many of those are attorneys, and then how many are other support staff? Sure. So, at full staff, we have about sixty individuals. About thirty of those would be attorneys, and thirty would be victim advocates, legal assistants, and uh, and investigators. Okay. So you're a good sized law firm. We're the biggest law firm in the city. <laughs> all right. As we should be. All right. I got you. Um, other things, um, just as you look back on this term, because you're halfway, well, a year and a half into your first term. Is that right? A year and a half. Okay. Um, when this is over, four year term, uh, when this first four year term is over, um, please tell me what you want to be able to say about your service as the district attorney of the Augusta Judicial Circuit. At the end of this term, I would hope that the culture and the understanding about the DA's office would be that we gauge success not by how many convictions we get, but by how many lives we change. And I would hope that there would be um, touch points throughout the community where people can talk about the way that the work we did changed lives, not just for the victims, but in many cases for the defendants who need to turn their lives around so that they don't end up in a prison cell. I think the more that we can make someone's first time in the criminal justice system, their last time in the criminal justice system, the safer and better community that we have. All right, before we close out, is there anything else you wanna share with our listeners? Mm. Well, I just wanna say thank you for letting me come on. Um, I've been able to accomplish a lot in the first year and a half. Uh, we started a pretrial diversion program and that allows young people who come to the system not to be branded as felons. Um, we started the most aggressive um, stride toward combating violent crime and sex crimes in that we created a major crimes division with a dedicated violent crimes unit and a special victims unit. Um, we have set community safety priorities. Um, we've dealt fairly with the community and made sure that everything that we put out there um, is honest work that will actually impact lives and make people safer. And so I'm just so thankful to have the opportunity to do this and to have the opportunity to share it with the people. Thank you so much for now being a part of the Local Matters family. <laughs> I came on once on, on the campaign trail too. So yeah, right. it's, uh, it's good right. to be on this side of things. <laughs> right. All right. Well, thank you so much. Hope this two-part conversation with District Attorney Jarrett Williams helps you learn as well as feel a little bit closer to uh, the criminal justice system here in Augusta, as well as to him as your public servant. As he reminded us, uh, he does have a social media page, a Facebook page, as well as Twitter and uh, I believe Instagram. So please follow those pages so that you can see exactly what that office has been up to in order to promote public safety in Richmond and Burke counties. As I close, I think it would be important uh, to mention what we did at the outset of the interview, and that is the connection between our families over the years. I will have to say that I think Jared's grandfather, J.C. Williams, 
And my father, Callaway Allen, would be quite proud to know that their descendants are uh, involved in making the Augusta community a better place. So please indulge us with that one. Thanks so much for, again, being a part of the Local Matters family. Uh, our show next week will feature Dr. Donna Moraine. Uh, she is what is called a court watcher. And I didn't even realize there were people who did such things. Um, she, of course, does it in her spare time. She has a full-time job, but it's just so important to her that we observe what is happening in our local courts. Uh, she has started an organization called the Augusta Justice Co Cooperative. Augusta Justice Cooperative. Let me say that again. Uh, their webpage is augustajustice.org. Uh, so please, as we continue this discussion about public safety in our community, uh, please make sure that you're part of our listening audience for next week's podcast. Take care. Bye-bye. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters.